It is located at 4550 East Avenue in Livermore, California, if you just happen to want to take a trip there. That particular location is maintained by the Livermore Pleasanton Fire Department. And it's a light bulb. It's just a light bulb. But that light bulb has a pretty good history. It has visitors all the time come see it. It's 2016. It actually has its own webcam because, of course, it does. It has its own website. It is known as the Centennial Bulb. And experts are not sure whether that bulb was originally a 30-watt bulb or a 60-watt bulb because now it's very dim. But you see, that particular bulb that's there in Pleasanton or in Livermore, California, has been burning other than just for times of power outages continuously since 1901. And every time I hear about it, it makes me mad that I have to go buy light bulbs every three weeks for our house. It now emits about the same amount of energy, about the same amount of light as a four-watt nightlight. But when it's a dark night and when all the lights are off other than that one, they say you can still see shadows in the room. It still emits enough light for you to make it around that particular space if you absolutely had to. Light fascinates us. Light's pretty amazing. And you think about just when the very first rays of the sun break over the horizon in the morning, before the sun is really up, just the power of the sun, just those little Lights, the the first few rays are enough for you to to walk to your driveway and pick up the the newspaper. Maybe go for a jog around your neighborhood, or in my case, a walk around your neighborhood, because I don't want to go any faster than than a walk. But it's enough. The sun is extremely powerful. I actually came across this, and I'm not about to try to verify it, but one particular source said that the sun emits so much power that every second... You could take the energy emitted from the sun and heat 3,200 billion, billion hot pockets, just in case you really want fast food. But the Bible often uses the picture of light to describe things that are right, that are good, that are holy. God himself is, is described as light. In 1 John chapter 1 and verse 5, we're told God is light. And just in case that's not a clear enough picture for us, John goes off to, on to finish that verse by saying, In Him is no darkness at all. I'm not sure any of us can really understand what true, pure light really is. And I think that's why John put that little phrase at the end of that verse, that In God there is no darkness. Not, it's complete light, complete purity Complete holiness. But that's the kind of light we are to shine as well. Christians are to be people of light. First John chapter 1 and verse 7, just two verses later than the verse about God being light, tells us we are to walk in the light. If we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of His Son Jesus cleanses us, literally continually cleanses us from all sin. In First Thessalonians 5 and verse 5, Paul tells us that we are children of light. And of the day. And it goes on to say we are not of the darkness. We are not of the night. But maybe my favorite picture as far as Christians go when it turns to light is Philippians 2 and verse 15. Where Paul there said that we are to shine like 
light. Some of you memorize that verse, the child shine like stars. And that's actually a better translation because the word literally is luminaries. The brightest things in the sky. We're to shine that way in the midst of a dark and crooked world. God is light. Christians are to be light. Jesus was described as light. As John opened his account of the gospel in John chapter 1 and verse 9, he said, in him was life and that light was the light of men. Jesus came to bring light. I didn't put the reference up here, but you remember he himself said, I am the light of the world in John chapter 8. I believe it's verse 12. God is light. Christians are to be light. Christ was and is light. But of all those pictures in Scripture of light, probably the one that's the most well-known, we might even say maybe the one that's most beloved, is the one we read a few minutes ago from Psalm 119. And I want you to turn back to that section of that very, very long poem. Psalm 119, verse 105, of course, David said, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I love that verse. We, we think about it. We know it. Most of us can quote it. Young people who are going to last to leaders, if you memorize that one verse, you're 99 short from Centurion of Scripture. So there you go. We even sing it from time to time. The little song, Thy Word, is taken, the, the chorus is taken directly from that particular verse. But I want us to think this morning about the verses that come after it. If God's Word is a lamp, then what difference does it make if I follow that lamp? You see, we could take our time this morning, if we wanted, to study Psalm 119, verse 105 by itself, and that would certainly be good. But I think most of us understand that picture of God's Word being a lamp, that that it lights our way, the world is a dark place, it's a confusing place, it's an evil place, all those things, and yet God's Word lights the way through that. I think we know that concept. But I want to ask this morning, what difference does it make? And we could, if we wanted to, go through this extremely long poem. Psalm 119 is 176 verses long. We could go through the entire poem and find literally dozens and dozens of things that would be different in our lives, that would be emphasized in our lives, that would be better in our lives if we simply follow the light of God's Word. But since we're calling our lesson this morning, Following the Lamp, I want us to use the verses that follow this one. Verse 106 through 112. And I want us to see some things that David himself said in following up that great verse. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I want us to see some things that if we would truly follow the light of the word of God, we would see improvement on or different in our lives. When we follow the lamp of the word of God in the first place, we have honesty or we gain honesty. Notice what is written in verse 106. I have sworn an oath and confirmed it to keep your righteous rules. Now, David was probably speaking in a literal sense that he had taken an oath upon himself or a vow, we might say, before God that he was going to be faithful. You see that oftentimes in the Old Testament where someone took a vow before God or an oath before God, sometimes about a very specific event, sometimes just about generically in life. I'm going to be faithful. We're not told in the New Testament that we have to take oaths or vows necessarily. But David was simply saying, I have promised before God that I'm going to walk in his ways. 
Now, if we wanted to, we could go back through the, the life of David and find some times where he failed on that vow, where David was not perfect. He was human. And, of course, the New Testament reminds us very clearly that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3 and verse 23. David made some mistakes. But David is also the one called in Scripture the man after God's own heart. Because when David realized his sin, was confronted with his sin, he always returned to his walk with the Lord. His heart sought following God. But when we gain the Word of God and follow the Word of God, we understand that the Bible is the very foundation of honesty and integrity. And the reason is simple. It is the revealed will of a God who cannot lie. It is the revealed will of one who is perfect. And so if we have a perfect giver and a perfect gift, then it becomes the very foundation of all that is honest, all that is integrity in our world. We're living in times where sometimes it seems that dishonesty is the measure of things. It's excused as the only way you can get ahead. You've got to cut a few corners. You've got to tell a few things here and there. And it shouldn't really surprise us that that's the case as our society, as our nation, moves further away from the moorings of Christianity and of the moorings of Scripture. Then it shouldn't surprise us that dishonesty becomes the way of the world. Because Scripture is the very foundation of true, full honesty and integrity. God's people must be people of honesty. We must be people who don't cut corners, who don't excuse away just telling a few things to get ahead. We must be truly people of integrity. You've probably heard it said before that the word integrity and the word integer come from the same root. And the word integer just means whole, a whole number. That's what integrity is, a whole person. It is one who lives what he or she says. When I follow the lamp of God's word, I have honesty. But also when I follow the lamp of God's word, I have great encouragement. At times we're down, we're discouraged. We talked about that last Sunday morning at length. But there's several places we could turn if we wanted when we're discouraged. But only God and God's word can really fill our lives with true encouragement in our darkest moments. And so in verse 107, David said, I am severely afflicted. Give me life, O Lord, according to your word. We don't know when in David's life he wrote this long poem. We don't know if he was still a shepherd. We don't know if he was a king. But we know that whenever it was in his life, he always throughout his life had difficult stretches, difficult seasons, we might say, at various times in his life. So whether he was a shepherd or whether he was a king or whether he was on the run from Saul or whenever it happened to be, David was looking around and saying, I'm severely afflicted. It could have been some kind of physical difficulty he was facing, or more likely, he was facing some kind of of enemy that was seeking him out at some point in his life. But where was David turning in that moment of discouragement? Give me life, O Lord, according to your word. He knew that in the word of God, there is true encouragement. I don't want to read too much into people's intentions and try to guess them all the time, but I think it's this concept, at least at times, that leads people who have a loved one who's departed but who is not particularly religious at all to still ask a religious leader to to preside over the ceremony. 
I've been asked to do that from time to time. And you've probably been to ceremonies before for people who weren't religious really at all, but they still want a preacher or a priest or a pastor or someone to come in and preach that particular funeral. And I think it's because not necessarily they want someone to, to preach that person into heaven, to use our terminology, but because deep down inside of us, we understand that only through God's word can we really gain encouragement in every moment of our lives. No matter how discouraged, down, lost, hurt we might be, it is through the word of God that we gain true encouragement. Remember that Romans fifteen four, among other things, tells us that the things that were written before were written for our comfort. There is comfort found in the Bible. We gain encouragement when we spend time in the Word of God. When you're following the lamp, it is the only thing that can light up the pathway when you're truly discouraged. But also, when we're following the lamp of the Word of God, we gain praise. I love verse 108, where David said, Accept my free will offerings of praise, O Lord, and teach me your rules. That little phrase, free will offerings, actually translates just one Hebrew word that has in its definition the idea of a voluntary act. David was saying, I'm not being forced to praise you. I'm not being coerced to praise you. I'm also not just praising you because I feel like it's just checking it off the list. This praise is my free will offering. I can't help but do it. It just flows out of me. But David says that happens because I'm considering your word. Teach me your rules. I have a friend who's a fantastic writer. I mean, it's not fair how good a writer he is. And I was reading a book of his a couple of years ago, I guess now, that was simply a, a study of a particular book of the Bible. And more than once in that book, he stated that as he was studying this particular passage or that particular passage, that he found himself pausing and sometimes literally and other times figuratively being put on his knees in praise. That because he had dug so deep into this passage and really considered what it meant or really found the meaning there, really it really touched him in a way that he found himself literally just praising God. And even he's told me in other conversations, sometimes he found himself literally vocally just in his office or wherever he was praising God. But other times it was simply just thinking out praises to God. I tell you that to ask this question. And I don't ask this in any way to shame anybody because it's a question I'd ask myself from time to time. When's the last time I spent so much time in the Word of God that I discovered something or that something touched my heart in such a way that praise simply could not be held back? It may not have been vocal. I may have actually you know, shouted out praise or sung a song or, or something like that. It may have been, but it may not have been. But it may have just simply that my mind began to be filled with praise for God because of something I had found, something that touched my life. When's the last time that happened in your life where the word of God touched you that deeply and that powerfully? But did you notice in that verse that David said, teach me your rules? When's the last time the rules of God (laughs) caused us to praise him? When we think about the simple fact that God knows what is ultimately best for us, we'll talk about this again in just a couple of minutes. At times it should cause us to praise him because he is leading us in the way that is truly right and righteous. When we follow the lamp of God, there's praise. When we follow the lamp of God, there's also a blank screen. There is also hope. Verse 109, 
Verse 109 may, may not make a lot of sense to us, but when we understand the poetry, I'm going to spend a couple of minutes here digging down into this. It's really a great verse of hope. David said in that verse, I hold my life in my hand continually, but I do not forget your law. Now, our way of looking at things, our Western world, at first glance, the first part of that verse, it may seem as if David was saying that he was in control. I hold my life in my hand. It may seem as David saying, I'm in charge here. But to the Hebrew mind or the Eastern mind, this was a way of saying that every move or each decision that David made could imperil his life. If we were wording this today, we might put it this way. It's as if my life is hanging by a thread. It's the same concept. They just word it in a very different way that can confuse our minds because it looks to us as if David is saying, I'm in charge. But instead he's saying, I'm really not. I understand I have decisions to make, but every one of them could lead to a moment of peril. How can we possibly go forward when things seem to be pressing in on us so strongly? David gives the answer at the end of the verse. I do not forget your law. Literally, I do not allow myself to have a lack of attention to your law. David says, I'm not going to allow it to happen to where I lack attention for the word, the law of God. When we need hope in our life, we need to bring to mind the law of God and let it fill us with hope. Now, I said we just said this a moment ago, but I want to bring it up here again. The reason it fills us with hope is because we can trust that God knows what is ultimately for our best. Sometimes the laws of God are, are, are a little bit difficult for us, but they lead us through the darkest moments of life. God knows that our life is not always going to be easy, but he knows how to light the path. He knows how to help us see times and ways to move forward. And what lights that path is the word of God. It hasn't happened to me often, but it's happened more than once where I've been visiting someone in a very difficult situation, maybe a nursing home or a hospital in a very, very difficult situation. And we visited and so forth. And somewhere in the conversation, that person is asked, can you just tell me something from the Bible or can you just read a scripture to me? As I said, it hadn't happened a ton, but it's happened from time to time. And I don't think it's because they're seeking some kind of false hope. Like if I just read the right verse, all of a sudden they're going to get better instantly. I don't think it's what they're, they're asking for. I think they're saying it because they need to be filled with a real hope, an eternal hope. Because you see, in those moments, I may not get what I'm asking for at that time. I may not get the answer. I want to be healed. I want to be fine. I want the full restoration of health or whatever the situation might be. And I may not get that in this life, but the Bible still gives me hope because it gives eternal hope it looks beyond the hurt and beyond the pain when we follow the lamp we have hope we follow the lamp also number five we have faithfulness david obviously been going through a very difficult time but if you notice in verse 110 he writes the wicked had laid a snare for him Someone or some group of people were so intent on harming David that it was as if they had set a trap for him. His life really was imperiled for some reason. You ever feel that way? It may not be literal. I'm not asking in a literal way. But do you ever feel like somebody or something is just pressing in on you, is almost trying to, to trap you in something? It's very easy at those times to excuse doing things that are wrong in order just to get out of the situation. But David would not do that. Instead, if you notice at the end of verse 110, he said, But I do not stray from your precepts. 
Not I don't just run all the other way. I don't even stray from I don't take one step the wrong way. When we follow the lamp of the word of God, we're going to remain faithful. No matter what people are going to be doing around us. It is so easy at times to get into some difficulty and then try to study the Bible and figure the way out of it. Now, it's, it's not bad to study the Bible in times of difficulty. We certainly need to. But folks, we need to be constantly in the Word of God in good times so that when those difficult times come, I may still need to search and dig and study, but I know where to turn because I know where my grounding is. I've walked with God through the good days. I've allowed His lamp to lead me in the good days. I need to allow His lamp to lead me through the bad days and the difficult days. And if I've been following Him and following His Word through the good days, I'll know where to turn in the difficult days. And further, sometimes we can find ourselves in those difficult situations and we can excuse sin as a way out. The teachings of God become secondary to me just getting through this, getting out of this. It's so easy to excuse that at times because all we see is the short term. We see how just giving in to some sin will get me out of this. It'll help me fight out of the corner, if you please. But faithfulness, true faithfulness, demands, as David said here, that we do not stray, not even a step from the precepts of God. Even when giving in to temptation might seem like the easy way out, it is never the right way out. When we face difficult times, We should always be faithful to what the Word of God states. We continue to follow the lamp of the Word of God. Number six, when we follow the lamp of the Word of God, there is also joy. Verse 111 is fantastic. I don't know if I've ever seen on calligraphy or needlepoint or anything like that, but maybe it should be. In verse 111, David said, Your testimonies are my heritage forever, for they are the joy of my heart. God's Word brings true and abiding joy. Now, that doesn't mean that following teachings of God is always easy. Sometimes it can be a struggle. But you remember that James, John tells us that the commandments of God are not grievous. They're not burdensome. They may be hard at times. But overall, following the way of God is not a burden. So long as our heart is right. And we follow that way, follow that lamp constantly. Joy is ours. Did you notice in that verse, verse 111, David says... It is the joy of my heart. If anybody understood the difference between happiness and joy, it had to be David. They're not the same. Joy is inward. It's in the heart. Happiness is different. Happiness, for one thing, it can be faked. You can fake happiness all day long. Just smile at the right time. Oh, he must be happy. When you could be, you could be dying inside. But you look happy. You can't fake joy. But happiness also changes because of the externals. I think I've said this before. If you don't believe that, follow social media during a sporting event. (laughs) And just tell me that happiness doesn't change with externals. If they don't make the quarterback change, I'm not happy. Folks, externals cannot change joy. It can try to eat away at it. It can try to pull it. But externals cannot change joy. It's in the heart. And the heart cannot be touched. David writes that the joy is in knowing that the word of God is with him forever. May I ask, does that thought bring you joy? That the word of God is with you forever. 
It should, it should help us build our joy, if nothing else, to know that God's word doesn't change. Our lives change. Our circumstances change. Externals change. We have good days. We have bad days. We have, we have struggles. We have, we have wonderful things happen. We have celebrations and we have funerals. But God's word does not change. That should help fill us with joy. What, what is acceptable in the sight of God for you is acceptable in the sight of God for me. I don't have to try to play the comparison game except to, am I following the unchanging word of God? That should fill us with joy. Because the same path that faithful people have followed for all these years is simply the path that God has asked us to follow. And what lights that path? The word of God. And then number seven, following the lamp also gives us growth. Or you may choose the word maturity. Either one is fine. With all that in mind, David writes a fitting conclusion to this little section of the poem. And it's one that reflects the growth that occurs when one is faithful to the word of God. Notice verse 112. I incline my heart to perform your statutes forever to the end. David was not saying, I'm going to follow the word of God until I get out of this difficult situation. And then I'm doing what I want to do. No, David said, I'm following the statutes of God forever to the end. Good days, bad days, that doesn't matter. I'm following the word of God. David was showing maturity, growth, in that he would continually follow the word of God, no matter what the circumstances were, all the way to the end. Now, you may feel this doesn't need to be said because it's very obvious, but I don't think it can be stressed enough. We are never going to grow in our faith if we are not regularly and deeply in the word of God. It's just not going to happen. I want want to finish well. And to help with that, I need to be regularly devoting myself to the reading and the study of God's Word. Our theme for 2016 is strengthening our roots, knowing God through His Word. I can't know Him as deeply as I could if I'm not in His Word. Deeply, regularly, constantly. Are you active in a Bible class? Learning from a teacher, whether you're a child or an adult, learning from a teacher whose desire is for you to know the Word of God at at your level, wherever you happen to be in life. Are you reading the Word from time to time? It doesn't have to be necessarily our our daily Bible reading plans, although those are fine. I'm so thankful that our elders approved, if you were here at the last leaders meeting last Sunday evening, you know this, but our elders approved that the one event that all of our young people have to do in order for the church to help with their trip involves knowing the Word of God. Our K through six young people have to simply know the books of the Bible. Our seventh through twelfth graders need to literally read the Word of God, either the Old Testament or the New Testament. That's fantastic. That we're helping them see the importance of being regular in learning more about the Word of God. It may be simply taking a book of the Bible, Philippians or one of the other shorter books, and spending weeks and weeks just diving as deeply as you can, learning all that you can. But there's growth, there's maturity, there is strengthening of the roots when we do that. All the way to the end forever your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path i would venture to say that out of the 176 verses of psalm 119 that's probably the most well known i would further venture to say it might be the most beloved it's easy to remember it has deep meaning and as i said we even sing it from time to time but if we isolate that verse And only think about it and fail to see the benefits, the wonderful things that occur when we follow the word of God. Sometimes it can be harder to really see 
what difference it makes when God's Word lights our path. The point of this morning's lesson is not to try to memorize those seven things found from verse 106 to 112. The point of this this morning's lesson is this. Look at the whole of it. And see what a difference following the lamp of the Word of God will make in your life. If you will drink deeply from the Word of God, I promise you, if you will do so regularly, your life will never be the same and it will be better. It doesn't mean every day is going to be fantastic. But your life will be better because you'll know where you're grounded. And ultimately, you'll know where you're going. Because you see, if God is light, if I am reflecting that light, if I'm following the one who came to bring light, and if I'm reading what is light, then I get to be with the one who created light. Scripture begins by telling us, He said, let there be light. And Scripture ends in Revelation chapter 4 with a picture of His throne room. And everything in that picture, all the symbols, all the terminology, either reflects, refracts, or takes in light. Because God is light. And I want to be in His shining, glorious presence forever. The only way to do that is to allow His Word to be the lamp to your feet and the light to your path all the way forever until the end. Are you following that light? Is His Word lighting your life? Are you reflecting the light of God in your life? Would anyone else know that you're following that lamp every step of the way? God is light, yes. But God is also loving, gracious, and merciful. And He allows us, if we're not walking in the light, to make that right because of the Son He sent. If you've never contacted the blood that Jesus shed on Calvary to be forgiven of your sins, to to walk a new, new life, to be a Christian, this is the morning to do that. If you as a Christian have not been walking in the light and you've been struggling, or maybe you've just been straying a little bit, taking a few steps here and there off off the path, and you want to make sure that your life is fully devoted to following what God would have you to do, this is the morning to make that right. If you need to become a Christian this morning, or if you need to return to the path of light, we invite you to come. We stand and sing to encourage you.